Are SNP leadership candidates happy that they seem to be uh, participating in a never-ending edition of The Apprentice, mixed somewhat with the rules from the Roman amphitheatre? Um, it is possible to conduct spirited debate without taking lumps out of one another. Indeed, it's possible to actually talk about independence and what it might do for Scotland. Uh, I wonder what tonight's BBC debate will bring. We discuss it. Uh, we also talk about the other big story running, Gary Lineker, the BBC, the climb down, the Fiona Bruce row, the other one about David Attenborough, and whether the BBC really has a leg to stand on these days in terms of impartiality. Those are the headlines. Now for the podcast. Hi, Tom's and welcome to this week's Leslie Riddick podcast. And it's yet another morning after the night before when there was yet another uh, SNP leadership debate. And to be perfectly frank, I'm finding the deba- debates, I'm getting a wee bit scunnered with them, as opposed to the leadership hustings, which I've been much more impressed with. It's the sight, I think, Leslie, of seeing people who have worked together in cabinet, in the case of Kate Forbes and Humza Youssef, tearing lumps out of each other, and then Ash Reagan joining in and uh, getting stuck in about the pair of them, though less getting stuck into Kate Forbes than Humza Youssef, from my perspective, having watched the Beth Rigby one last night. And I think they've all been played by the debates. I think they've been played by the broadcasters. They've, when I used to run courses, for people in the trade union movement in particular, what I always used to say to them was, when you're asked a question, do not implicitly accept the premise of the question. And I think in the cross-examination that they did with each other last night, I think they accepted the premise of, we've got to be opponents. I, I would have really genuinely liked to see Kate Forbes and Ash Regan standing up for Humza Yusuf's record in this, the health service up in Scotland. I really would have. And I think that would have been a far more intelligent way to play, both in terms of supporting the way that the Scottish government has acted collectively to protect patients and the Scottish public throughout the COVID crisis and to attempt to protect us with the, uh, the austerity measures that are taking place that have actually wrecked the NHS. And I not only think that would have been the right thing to do, in terms of protecting the SNP government's record in these matters, even though there are issues, but also been the smart thing to do. The smart thing for one of these candidates to do was not to indulge themselves in attacking the other two. I really think they've missed a, they've missed a great opportunity to reveal genuine leadership skills and to play it smart. So I don't know who was advising them, but to engage in that SNP on SNP boxing match where they were quite prepared to try and knock out the opponent rather than playing it smart. I think they have made an error and maybe that's being reflected in the current set of opinion polls which is actually saying, well, don't know on all three as potential leaders of the SNP and potential first ministers. Yep, I'd I'd quite give you that. Um, I mean, particularly in, in that debate, Uh, Maybe this reflects back on a sort of, you know, on your own upbringing, because I was absolutely brought brought up not to talk about me, um, not to even use I so much and and definitely not in stuff to be standing there. And I think all of them are a little bit uneasy with it, although Kate Forbes less so. 
have to stand there and say, I am the best person in the room. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for I think the, actually I'm you know I've been I've been up till all hours you know on the final legs of writing this book, which is looking at a lot of the tropes that sit behind that are carried by Scots, and a lot of it is a difficulty of with winning success. All these competitive terms that are bolted into the judgmental and competitive way that British society works. If you've usually come off the the wrong end of that, as most Celts have historically done on these islands and Scots in particular, then you sort of get, you know, a bit wary about this kind of I'm a winner, you know, only the best type stuff. And okay, you can pucker up and do it. Yeah. Uh, But it doesn't sort of come quite as naturally as it seems to come uh, to a lot of folks south of the border. And actually, therefore, they sort of deliver it better because they are to the manor born. They are entitled and it all rolls off for them really quite easily. When you see a, a bunch of people, um, you know, and I think Humza Yusuf particularly finds this hard to stand there and go me, 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 which means he's actually the worst at it, ironically. So in your roll call of shame there about, you know, people taking lumps out of each other instead of doing something a bit blinking statesperson like. Um, I mean, Humza was no exception on that uh, on that to Sky News hustings because he was getting absolutely torrented Kate on you're behind me um, in terms yes. of the, the SNP membership, you know, and it's like, it, it, I mean, it almost the whole thing almost conjured my late mother into the room again where, you know, she would if, if me and my brother were kicking off, she'd just say, I am not interested in who was first. I don't care who did it. It's just the lot of you just go out and play. You know? Yes. And it's sort of I'm sure we were all brought up like this, that this kind of like, well, I'm in front of you. No, I'm in front of you. Well, I'm in front of you. No, it's just no, no. It's demeaning crap. And, um, you know, they're actually all as bad as one another in, as, as you, I think, rightly say, in having sort of accepted that the debate format is a chance to prove that you're mad as hell and you don't give a damn, that there's no place you're unwilling to go in an effort. In fact, there's too many blooming media things. It's like The Apprentice. It's like all these these formats on TV that that basically require some element of the jugular to be gone for. Now, having said all of that, you probably do need a tiny bit of jugular in life um, Mm -hmm. because these guys are going to have to take on you know, the horrible big beasts of Westminster indirectly and the media, and they're going to have to stand their ground. But you only need a flash of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and at the moment, it's as if uh, people are driving a car in fifth gear from the second they start. And you can't do that. You know, it's really there's no light and shade. Uh, actually, I'm, I am now beginning to in, get a bit carried away with myself because for some of the you know points they were answering specifically to. Uh, the presenter, not to one another, but yes. it all too quickly drifts when they have got control of the moment. And that's what the cross questioning is about. It's about for a tiny moment, they get to choose what things they put first. Um, they're choosing to be as aggressive as blooming alligators. And to what end? Yeah, I quite agree with you, you know, and it's made me feel so uncomfortable about the whole thing. The next problem with it all is that um, 
that candidates are now proxies for other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so which is fine. You know, I guess that this was always going to happen. So if you point out, for example, I, I was uh, listening or watching Humza Yousaf, who was, I think, gosh, it's all a blur now. But I think being interviewed by was it Martin Geisler on the Sunday show? He had mm. interviewed the two other candidates on previous weeks um, and having tweeted some things about Humza Yusuf, I was getting massive kind of, well, massive, a steady on now, girl, but pelters <laughs> for basically not also commenting on Ash and uh, Kate Forbes, who were not in that interview. Yeah. Uh, this being because and then people were saying, OK, so you're the con, you know, so you favor the continuity candidate, you know, and uh, and kind of off it goes. Um it's it's now people are quite embedded in having uh, the candidates stand for things. Yeah. So some somehow. OK. And then quite obviously, whom says the is the, you know, the, the, the continuity candidate, the leadership candidate. And and it, it's it's terribly ironic that on the face of it, it hasn't helped him to have got even the endorsement of big beasts like John Swinney, who we forgot to mention last yeah, week yes. had announced his decision to sort of to step down, which was quite another sort of gosh, everybody's offski moment. Um, but you know, even his endorsement just looked like absolute confirmation <laughs> that yeah. that uh, Humza had got the whole thing stitched up. And of course, when you start thinking about stitch ups within the SNP, you automatically think to the you know the the, the kind of maestro behind the scenes, Peter Merrill. Who, who is a massively dividing figure. Yeah. Um, so all of that sits in a wonner with with kind of Humsa. The, the 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 kind of thing that sits then with Kate is that I mean I think we've got her her socially conservative views. People probably don't need an awful mm. lot more exercise and all of that. You think what you think about it, and nothing's gonna you know there's, you're not going to hear more probably that changes your views on that. What you probably need to do if you have any difficulties with it, and I've been on record as saying I have difficulties with it, is set it against what you hear from the rest of her her shtick. And that's uh-huh. true of all the candidates. So then it's important to know if she's an economic conservative, too. Now, you know, that sort of has been hinted at a little bit uh, mm. in her presentation at the beginning when she talked, she was actually the only candidate who was a member of, of the Growth Commission set up by, you know, Andrew mm-hmm. Wilson, which we've talked about many times before. And she's tended when she's had the chance to lay it out at the beginning to talk a lot more about um, reviving the economy through inward investment. That old one, which mm-hmm. has often left Scotland dangling at the end of a sort of branch economy. Um so, you know, it, it, and she, of course, she supports free ports. Um, I mentioned that. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it was in the STUC debate. She she said that essentially they were the only game in town and all the only option you had with the Westminster government was whether to get in and slightly adapt them or just essentially lose all control because they were going to go ahead and award them anyway. Uh, Humza Yousaf said he had big, big misgivings about free ports. And there it sat. You know, yes. I mean, come on. And this is the thing. The only we quibble I would have for you, Pat, is just that when you do have a kind of um, a, a, a televised presenter ch- sort of chairing it, they, they sniff things like that and just hopefully go a little bit more to try and say, right, talk about that, you two, because, you, you know, mm-hmm. 
what are you saying that you would have actually not backed the free ports, Humza? Yeah. Uh, so we need more like that to connect up these these kind of thoughts on on big policies. I mean, the, 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 the media is great for sort of saying, oh, you see, independence is way down the priority list. It's the economy, it's health and the crisis, cost of living crisis. Then what do they ask about independence, social conservatism and so yeah. on? And, you know, I'm not knocking that because obviously we're in the game for independence but why not just make your hustings about the things that the public want if you're going to keep, you know, swinging the public's preferences around your head? Because actually in those answers are also the answers that people want to hear about where independence fits yes. into all of this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my frustration with it, really. Yeah, I mean, I watched it last night because your, your hopes that the BBC might might move off the social conservatism line with Kate Forbes was not was not carried out by Beth Rigby last night. She sniffed the opportunity to get stuck into it about the conversion therapy and the ban on conversion therapy and getting these nuances in there that, that Kate Forbes had difficulty answering because of course she's going to have difficulty answering them. And then it proceeded we knew what was going to come with Hamza Youssef. Hamza Youssef again I, I mispronounced just like Ross Foyer did so it's Hamza Youssef and he was very nice about that but Hamza was, was asked about the NHS I just wondered if that would might have backfired she, she went such, such an attack on him within that within the on the NHS that that someone like me I've got no skin in the game if I were asked who I wanted to be the new first minister and leader of the SNP currently I'd go for Stephen Flynn in a moment but I'm not an SNP member. But I, I, I listened to it and I thought, you know, if I were an SNP member and watching Beth Rigby putting the boot into Hamza Youssef on the NHS, that might make me more inclined to vote for Hamza Youssef because he was actually stressing the lines about negotiating and being no strikes up here, which was which is the line that he was taking. And I thought he, he coped well with it. And I think it might have been counterproductive. And her gotcha moment with Ash Reagan, which about the central bank and what other institutions you required on top of that, which which she did get her on. It was a gotcha moment. But I went away and checked up and I looked at Estonia, I looked at Croatia, I looked at all these places that had actually set up their own their own currencies, and there was no mention of the DMO, which was an invention of Gordon Brown in nineteen ninety-eight when he moved the responsibility away from the Bank of England, the central bank, to the DMO to actually analyze the government debt management. So I mean that that was the only difficulty was it she did get her because that was a complete left field question which was like kind of like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. But um, it, it was, but <clears throat> I guess this with Ash she 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 she's she fairly fires through thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know uh, she has she's crisp and quick, but it's almost like the way someone would answer if they didn't see the complexity nesting behind many mm, of the that. real issues, you know. So um, I think probably the reason that these kind of questions score or hurt her particularly is because there's already a perception that it sounds a bit like uh, painting by numbers. Yes. You know? yeah. um, and yeah. that, that when you can't actually put flesh on the bones and there was this kind of confusing about turn on how many whether it take months or years to establish a new currency mm. um she she was trying to clarify that she'd never said it would just be months after independence that it would take years but the transition could be shorter if you got going now 
which mm-hmm. is kind of yeah, possibly. But it sounds like that's a bit of a, you know, trying to tidy things up after the event. Yeah. I mean, she shoots from the hip. She says stuff. Uh, by gum was she ferocious, actually. She was the one that was mostly getting stuck into people, including Kate. Mm. And it, it, it did sound pretty, uh, you know, pretty bad at one point, really. <laughs> but she, you know, she she will rock. She rocks the boat quickly and has has got a very. In fact, I think she'd make a probably very good presenter at some point. Yes. She just whacks through things without listening to practically to anything that's been said in um, now, that's actually contradicting myself. What I mean mm. simply is she doesn't get distracted from the point she's trying to make yeah. by the kind of googlies that are thrown up by the opposition. But as far as a candidate's concerned, it doesn't feel sort of it just doesn't feel kind of, author, you know, authoritative and and sort of gently confident that you at yeah. some point wish people would realize uh is what folk are kind of looking for, not this mm-hmm. kind of horrible scrappiness, which, you know, it would be true. I mean, I don't think debate night tonight, for example, will be like that because it's just not modeled the same way. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's much more, you know, even the fact people are sitting, it'll be interesting to see how they've got them tonight. But um, sometimes the sittingness of it can actually and the number of people that are usually in their uh, panels can actually make it a bit seem a bit slow sometimes. So mm-hmm. anyway, I, the Herald column I wrote was just saying, can we please just home in on a couple of big issues? Because in really dealing with them properly, people will understand what the economic thinking of each of the candidates is. So, yeah, just take take the free ports, because within that sits a lot of things and also about green policy and yeah. take the national energy company idea, mm-hmm. because in the detail of that, there's quite a lot to be revealed about how much the candidates understand of the difficulties involved in that, not just the bright lights. And that's what I'm hearing a bit as well. I mean, sometimes, for example, Humza will say uh, will come out quite strongly on things like I think he did in the STUC hustings, um, things like the need for land reform. And he sounds like he really means it and then says mm-hmm. that a land reform bill's needed. Hello, yes. we've got yeah. one already, mate. You know, and the thing is that the the you know Ross Foyer didn't know that enough or didn't see it as her brief enough to jump in and say, I'm sorry, Humsa, your government's actually running a consult, just run a consultation on that. You've got one already. What's wrong with it? You know, yeah. if it's not beefy enough, your watch, mate, you know, you're not the land reform minister, but, you know, you would have to bring it back to what's already there. I heard him at one point as well talking about pushing out the sort of international mission for Scotland and said that he would set up uh, an office in Brussels. Uh, there is an office in Brussels. It's the oldest one that the Scottish government has in fact, it was set up by the Labour first first ministers. So, um, yeah, again, we've got one already. So it's kind of like this is, again, where having a, a fair, you know, a very good deba- uh, presenter like Martin Geisler actually has a store of all this stuff so that when they hear somebody coming away with something, they ma- map it quickly onto what they know to be true already and can tell quickly whether this is just a sort of, you know, bit of a soundbite or whether it's a genuine new policy. Yeah, I mean, because I did, I did enjoy Rose Foyer's uh, uh, style 
to be perfectly honest, at the STUG uh, trade union group uh, uh, National Hustings. And again, moving on to that, I actually find that far more illuminating because I tweeted that whole thing about the SNP leadership debate, too much, not enough light. I thought that was illuminating. Uh, and again, I thought that Kate Forbes, I mean, if we're, Again, she, is she doing a I mean, who knows if she's doing a Keir Starmer. But I thought her introductory statement about putting workers' rights at the heart of uh, an independent Scotland, uh, workers at the heart of the economy, and that whole stress upon workers' rights, and and the vision that there should be of an independent Scotland, which was greener, fairer, etc. The just transition was absolutely excellent. And Homsey Youssef, I'm a trade unionist at heart and again talked about his ability to actually negotiate and work with trade unions and that was going to be at the centre of an independent Scotland. Again, talking about economic growth that is irrelevant unless it's a well-being economy. And the, the one at that point, which actually I thought, well, that's an interesting one, was the complete rejection of the Growth Commission. Which you refer to her was that, that that Kate Forbes was the only one who would sat on. I know, the but that's but you know, but this is my quibble is that that needed to be presented that way, you know, because mm -hmm. people don't seem to remember. Um, so that's the job of a presenter is to frame yeah. up the bit that's missing um, from your knowledge of mm -hmm. it, and it's fine to hear people. Uh, obviously, all the candidates will come out with you know worker friendly patter when they're sitting in front of a bunch of trade yeah, unionists. Yes. <laughs> I well, mean, funny not, that. Yeah. you know, and then if you saw a CBI hostings, which I'm guessing you wouldn't have, uh, you would see a different set of stresses. And that is mm -hmm. part of the skill of a politician. Yeah. That they are able to be all things to, you know, practically all people. Knowing that <clears throat> the things they're saying, however, will be on the record and will be things that they will be chased down to deliver. So I'm not suggesting that those remarks are nothing. Um, but you have to map it against what things they've actually come out and favoured, you know, already. Yeah. And that's the difficulty in the moment of trying to pin people down a bit. I thought actually Humza Yusuf looked a lot happier in his skin with his blooming oh, jacket off. Yes. I mean, jacket off, sleeves rolled up, no tie. And just what's he doing to himself in all these other? It's almost like it is that. That thing of you're the, you know, you're the official leadership candidate, matey, go out and look like an undertaker, you know, son. Yeah. Um, and he should just get the blooming jacket off. You know, it just makes yeah. him uh, he, he just looked like a man reborn in that STUC hustings. Yep. And he looked happy. It was in Glasgow, which I think is, you know, that's his kind of parish. And it felt like he knew these guys uh, and it was the, the, the business of negotiation, conciliation, the framing of a sort of progressive agenda, which is his thing. Um, it, you know, that's that's where he's most comfortable. I noticed as well, there's many, many polls being slung around. So it feels, you know, invidious probably mm -hmm. to select any of them. But again, in the spirit of the things that are not generally mentioned, the one, the Ipsos Mori one that came out last Friday, had one thing that I noticed interestingly in a tweet that Kate Forbes was twice as popular with 55 year olds and, and, and older than with under 34s. So basically, she's popular mm. with the older age group and less so with the younger age group. And I wonder, you know, I didn't I didn't actually see the breakdown for the other candidates uh, because, you know, it's very possible that Ash Reagan, it, it shows you the measure actually of the impatience and frustration that there's been within the Yes movement for so long 
that that someone who really hasn't got a lot of strands to her argument is still getting yes. 18 or whatever percent support um, because people are absolutely desperate to get someone who simply puts independence front and center and kind of pushes that through every debate. Um, but this question of who who you gain and who you lose, I guess that's where the debate may well move on to, because, I mean, Humza Yusuf was already starting to try and essentially say, you're the Tory candidate. You're the Tory, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you're going to reach across, as she often says, but in the process of reaching, you very often drop what you've got in your lap. And what you've got in your lap with the SNP is the perception of a progressive party on all sorts of definitions of progressive, which then keeps Labour at bay. As soon as you start messing too much with the idea of progressiveness, uh, you may well usher in some Tory voters, but you might well let Labour back in the door at a time when Labour is obviously on the ascendant. I mean, all three of the candidates last night said they expected they'd be dealing with Keir Starmer, not Rishi mm-hmm. Sunak. So uh, and in any case, I mean, Scotland just is looking for progressive leadership. So mm. I think there would be a you know, that's the difficulty for for Kate, which I think Humza has not really pinpointed particularly well because he's very, I think he's just very uncomfortable uncom- with doing the you, essentially you're a Tory line. You've got yeah. to think of something more skillful that basically shows some of these things. Um and at the same time, of course, many supporters have now just got are in very, very entrenched positions on oh, all God of this. I. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, the line that, that, that you're a Tory. I mean, I've just gone back to the polls. It's, I mean, I, I've been I was polled by YouGov umpteen times. I mean, I was often asked, uh, what's your preference? And against the framing of the question, I would I mean, no, I'm not going to vote Labour. You know, until possibly there's a change in policy in a post-independent Scotland and I analyse what they're like, I may go back to voting Labour. But I will not vote Labour again. But if I actually ask the compare and contrast, do I prefer Keir Starmer to Rishi Sunak? Yes, of course I do. That doesn't mean I'll ever vote Labour. You know, so we've got an interesting one there again, the, the analysis, an analysis of the of the polls. So that that would be my perspective. On it. And again, I got so caught up with that, my reflections on my own personal history with uh, YouGov that I've forgotten what the second point was I was going to make, well, which I thought was terribly thought, clever. Well, you, you'll get the clever one again, I'm sure. Um, to, but just to pick up actually something you, you also kind of skirted on. I think it was me that started the Stephen Flynn uh, thing running mm. a little while ago <clears throat> and, and just saying that it seemed a shame that because of the rule change that was ushered in by Peter Merrill's administration of the SNP, um, it's very difficult for sitting MPs to basically shift parliaments. I mean, I think everybody knows that that was brought in to block Joanna Cherry, but it's blocked all MPs. So right now, for example, you know, we could have been looking at something, which is what Alex Salmon did back in the day when he was an MP and stood as leader, um, where we could have had a, a movement from one part par- parliament to the other. And with somebody, you know, like a bit of a tag team with somebody in the Scottish Parliament mm-hmm. acting as deputy, as Nicola did for years until Alex Salmond came back and found a seat in the Scottish Parliament. Um, and, you know, we could be having, for example, Philippa Whitford as as yeah. as a, a kind of uh, uh, as as could have stood as leader. Um, if that had been viable, that she might then think she could hop back quickly and easily to Holyrood. 
Um, as things stand at the moment and the speed with which this was all announced, it wasn't, to my mind, just a thing to kind of make life a bit more difficult for Kate Forbes, but could well have been to try and make it absolutely impossible for any MP to enter the race. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you know, that then means that you could also be looking at the current candidates on a different basis. I noticed uh, Peter Arnott um, tweeting that uh, in, in his kind of he's a tremendous playwright. And so his his choice of words was was very particular. Um, he said uh, the best of the three candidates is a caretaker. Um, the other two are existential threats. So I hope the caretaker wins. Mm. And in that respect, he's kind of saying, well, you know, we may not have got and I think this is probably true. We may not have got to the next eight year leader. And and indeed, we, we might never do. You know, these two pretty big figures within the whole of British politics, uh, European yeah. politics. I mean, they've seen everybody out. I don't know that Nicola uh, has been beaten by any I'm sort of taking my life in my hands here by saying it, but I can't think that there's any other world leader that has lasted as long as she has. And probably before her, Alex Salmond, equally long tenure. So that's not normal, you know. Um, however, it might well be that the best move is to have a caretaker um, who allows enough of a rule change and internal democracy within the SNP to reemerge yeah. that there is a fair consideration of all candidates uh, soon, which allows the talent that joined immediately after the Indie Ref and just accidentally happened to cruise down to Westminster because the first election that happened was a general election, not a Scottish election. So if it had been the other way round, all those folk who joined, Mary Black, Philippa, Joanna, you know, Stephen Flynn later, uh, but the folk that joined immediately, they would all probably be in the Scottish Parliament now yes. and available for selection. That they aren't is just a quirk of fate um, and a determination that's arisen from the difficulties introduced by Peter Merle. So now that we're at a stage where Nicola Sturgeon is leaving and Peter Merle cannot hang on, I don't think. And I think Humza would be very well advised to change his tack on this um, because that's the very unpopular aspect of this that is harnessing him to a set of ways of dealing with the SNP membership stifling debate and you know you you can say that whether they're 78,000 or 100,000 in size 78,000 as a membership is still bigger than the entire UK Lib Dems so, you know, it, it, handling a massive party is no easy thing. Handling a party that represents the normal differences of half the population of Scotland is no easy thing. And it's all too easy to respond to that with an equal and opposite desire to stifle all debate. But you can't do that. And that's what's happening now is that, um, you know, <laughs> I was reading last night um, an interesting thing about the fact that that uh, most of Scotland, which was under a three mile ice sheet during the Ice Age. Yes, this book <laughs> is really going in some interesting directions, um, is now experiencing isostatic uplift, which means the land is slowly rising and makes Scotland much less vulnerable to the sea level changes that accompany climate change than places further south that hadn't got the ice. 
And it's almost like the same thing is happening now with the SNP. It's like re- restricted and squashed down, feasting exactly. for Indy for so bloody long. Um, people are finally managing to have a say on something. And, you know, it's sometimes it's not very pretty. But that's what happens when you get release from from, you know, being pushed down. So yeah. in all of this, it might well be that the future obviously has further changes sitting uh, just ahead. I don't know. But you would need to hear that the intention is to release the SNP membership conference and structures from mm. the strictures that have been placed upon it by Peter Murrell, who really has to go. Yeah. I mean, it's it's good. You got in there with the, the, the Scotland under the Ice Age. I was going to talk about Iceland and volcanoes for that very point. But anyway, which was holding pressure down and suddenly erupting, which has been held down for so long. The, the other thing I was going to say that voting began today, and this is the, it wasn't terribly clever, but I'm just trying to uh, think about the fact of it's done under the a transferable vote system. Uh, you've got to get 50% of the those who vote in order to become leader. I'm, and, and looking at the polls, Unless there's massive swings in the don't knows and either way, I'm just wondering if the 50% will be reached. And at that point, and and I'm going to be very straightforward in this, it seems to me, I'm not negating her impact, that where Ash Reagan's votes, it would seem from the polls go, is going to be absolutely vital in determining who becomes uh, the leader of the SNP and the First Minister. And that, I think, will be intriguing to see what happens tonight, if there's any kind of dynamic in the BBC debate, which actually gives us an insight into into that potential of uh, one of the candidates playing to the Ash Reagan uh, transfer votes. Yeah, which I think, I mean, let's be honest, Kate Forbes did do that. I can't remember which debate it was when she, ah, it was whichever one she basically stood up and said, Holmes, are your crap, <laughs> basically, yeah. that one. Um, and then uh, the contrast with her questions, fairly patsy questions to uh, uh, to to um, Ash Regan, uh, the contrast was extraordinary. She waited patiently, got the answers, and it definitely looked like, you know, they're a bit of a tag team and she was trying to make sure she didn't alienate Ash voters. Um, it, it totally depends because... I mean, I would imagine that Ash voters, since I have to say there's so little else going for Ash in terms of her policies, albeit that she can embrace some of the Commonweal background, although mm. not with enough detail. I mean, the exactly. Commonweal guys the are just, you know, are just past masters and mistresses of summoning up entire volumes of reports they've written and researched for like about five years or something. And the lack of detail that comes on the back of some of Ash's responses, just, you know, it's a long time since she was working with Commonweal, let's just say. So the the, the main drive for Ash, and she's not pulled her punches about it, is she is the independence candidate. Yeah. Well, is Kate the independence candidate in the same breath? Because, mm-hmm. you know, or, or indeed is Humsa. I mean, you know, pe- people will will chuck around and say that, you know, that, that if Humsa is the continuity candidate, it's a continuity of never quite getting around to anything. But Kate was in that government, too. And, you know, she, she also, when she's had the chance to explain what she's doing, it's kind of we'll just teach the world to sing kind of stuff, you know, same so I don't know, you know, if people will get to a point where if they voted one, first for Ash, they're very definitely people that want a real, you know, like a pace mm-hmm. on the independence front. 
and will then look automatically across to Kate and think, yep, if we didn't get, you know, Ash and she's our girl. It depends entirely how strongly they feel about other issues like gender recognition reform and stuff like that. Um, And again, you can't be sure that everyone who is hell for leather, let's do indie, is necessarily big on gender recognition reform as an issue. So it looks like there should be a pretty considerable transfer and that um, is being talked up, I think. But I don't know that that's totally true. And I did even hear, though I, I couldn't find it later to try and sort of verify it in my own, own mind, that there had been a suggestion from Ash that just to sort of try and dispel the idea that she's being put up as a sort of mop up the votes for Kate mm-hmm. candidate, that she's saying to people, just vote one Ash Reagan. Right. Now, I don't know. I, I'll say this and mm. I now realise I should have done what crossed my mind at the time, drop everything and try to bloom and find it. But I didn't. So I could be wrong on that. Um, but still, there we are. And, you know, them's the rules. If it's if it is, it's a it's a pr- proportional transferable system. People will simply have to accept if Humza comes out top, but not 50 percent and is then beaten on the transfers. Then Kate, you know, presumably uh Kate will be the next first minister, then, you know, people will have to kind of see how they, you know, what they feel Mm. about that. Yeah. And then we've got the whole situation about the vote for first minister, which, again, we'll we'll take that as it comes if it it does happen. Well, having having mm. actually had a wee conversation about this with them as no's, um, I don't Mm -hmm. think that is the great the great obstacle. This could be famous last words that people have suggested in that. when she is put forward as first minister uh, to to MSPs in Holyrood, um, the the other parties generally put forward each their own other candidates, mm-hmm. um, so that there, unless the unionists get their act together and put forward just one candidate, and can you see Douglas <laughs> Ross or Alice Sarla <laughs> agreeing that it's going to be the other oh. guy? You know, so well, yeah. Um, that ain't, so that ain't going to happen. Inevitably, command more votes than the rest, uh, you know. And and again, it, it, the the you know the the MSPs in the Scottish Parliament will be in a you know it will be a it will be a weird and difficult thing mm. for them not to back a properly elected first minister, leader of their own party. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, see, it's the BBC tonight, and uh, let's hope that they display that impartiality. For which they've been rightly, <laughs> rightly famed across <laughs> the democratic world. Oh God, I'm I'm so pleased with myself. I with chocolate, I could eat myself right now for that. We like. Um, so yeah, but it's been it's been what a what a weird weird old week. Gary Lineker tweeted on Tuesday comparing the language used uh, over the illegal uh, immigration. Uh, bill so-called and uh, the language surrounding it used by the, the, the Conservative Party and the tabloids reminiscent of Germany in the 1930s. That was on the Tuesday. Nothing happened. That was on the Wednesday. Nothing happened. Thursday. Nothing happened. Suddenly Friday. Tim Davy. Lineker has stepped down. Now that's a euphemism, isn't it? You know, Lineker stepped down. Which Gary Lineker says, "No, I didn't. I was tell. I wasn't going to go on match of the day." What happened in those three days? No, the tabloids went nuts, and Penny Mordaunt gave the most cringe-worthy. I'm so clever with all my football-related pun speech in Parliament. Um, that's what happened. And Tim Davy, the 
the well-known Conservative Party placeman, suddenly decided that Gunny Lyricker was no longer going to present match of the day. And I could, I mean, genuinely, I, I knew I, I, I had my heart of hearts being an Arsenal man and knowing the background of Ian Wright, hoped that uh, Ian Wright at the very least would actually stand up in solidarity. He did. Alan Shearer did. And then the whole set of dominoes came tumbling down where BBC freelancers and presenters on sports programs says, no, nah, I'm not going on. I'm not going to do it. And then lo and behold, Tim Davy, who thought he was going to get away with it, and uh, the impartialities are Richie, uh, Robbie Gibb, etc., and in, involved in the BBC, they all thought they were going to get away with this, and they were going to display the impartiality, the rules that they thought were actually going to get them cozied up to the Tories. It didn't work, and they've had to back down. And it's been an absolute delight and pleasure to watch. Yep. Uh, yep, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the the problem in all of this is, as as ever for the BBC, is and in fact in all the things we're talking about, is that there's there's an event which you might or might not get away with. I don't think when you're taking on Gary Lineker, who has nine million followers on Twitter, yeah, you're probably going to get away with very much. I mean, he's just very well liked, pretty well loved. Even a non-footballing tweet like me gets it. And if you just look at his demeanour. Be a great thing for mm-hmm. some of the candidates to actually yes. study Gary Lineker. <laughs> he just cruises along like he's actually he said his thing. And I love the fact that when he issued his tweet saying, oh, I'm really glad that we've managed to find a resolution <laughs> yeah. to this. Just by the way, um, any of the problems I've had over the last few days are nothing compared to yeah. the misery being experienced by asylum seekers. And the only thing about this is that. It has now become a discussion in the same way as the Kate Forbes thing has not been about um, whether what the hurt yeah. felt by gay people to hear that their marriages are not something she would have supported. Um, the, the, the debate is now not about um, the asylum bill. It's about whether or not a sports presenter should have the right to tweet what they want. So everything detaches so quickly from the real point at play to become a sort of you know, almost human rights kind of, you know, the rights to free speech kind of thing, which, of course, is is massively important. Um, And in all of this, the Beeb's problem is it's got previous. It's got previous in every blooming direction that it doesn't seem to realise the public sees. So, I mean, it knows, I think, pretty much. And this is where I think the really quick um, and tremendous solidarity between the commentators um, also arose from the fact that BBC staff are in uproar about Richard yeah. Sharp still being there as BBC chairman, despite the fact that he is a Tony Tory donor, was absolutely caught out bang to rights, concealing that fact from his panel when he was actually given the BBC job and has to go. And in classic fashion with these guys who will just hang on for dear life, Everybody else then becomes collateral. I mean, Tim Davey, OK, indeed, he was a Tory councillor in 1993 and didn't he get elected? So we can see where his kind of he's got pals mm-hmm. who are MPs who tweeted their delight when he was made um, director general. So, yeah, he definitely hangs in that direction, but not as openly as blooming Richard Sharp. That d- Never mind the loony fix for Boris donated 400,000 quid to the Tories. 
Yeah. So, I mean, as long as he's sitting there, you cannot be on the right side of any any argument with someone like Gary Lineker about anything, never mind an asylum policy, which is utterly, you know, we're going to get on to, but it's just utterly appalling. And of course, then there's the other series of things that have happened, like the Fiona Bruce scan, sort of scandal. Oh, God, yes. Um, you know, which again, people would need to live on another planet not to know that uh, when Yasmin Alibi Brown was on Question Time and was talking about the the well, was responding actually to another Tory who was talking about Stanley Johnson being a very nice man with reference to him potentially being included in Boris Johnson's studio. I thought he'd gone already <laughs> honours list so that actually his own blooming dad could be bumped up to Lord something or other by Boris Johnson, which is like, if that is not just a snap, I mean, come on, everyone, let's just become independent. Just for that, it's ridiculous. Yeah, just for that, yeah. But anyway, um, so Yasmin kind of came back in and observed that he had been violent to his wife, at which point Fiona Bruce jumped in and effectively said, you know, his version of it is that, yes, these things have, you know, this thing did happen, but it was, uh, according to friends, a one off. Mm. Now, uh, that seemed to absolutely trivialise domestic violence in the eyes of lots of people watching, not least the refuge charity, which actually um, Fiona Bruce has been patron of for 25 years. Uh, which is an odd one then, because that's quite a sort of long term commitment to something and also a commitment that would tend to put all sorts of danger, danger signs if you were, as she suggests she was, um, forced to read out a corrective to what Yasmin had said for legal reasons. Now, I mean, having been that person in that position of being a BBC presenter, when somebody has said something that could potentially, it's not, you know, it's 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 not libelous because, I th- in fact, here we are now. I haven't checked it enough to see quite where that advanced to with Stanley Johnson, but I don't think anyone's denying that one occasion definitely happened. But generally speaking, you are stuck in a position where you have to give the the response. Mm-hmm. And this is true of newspaper columns. When I've done newspaper columns about the Duke of Buclew, uh, the National need me now to send the copy in a day early because we'd spend a day legaling it so that yeah. I have to come back with all sorts of responses that I've got from the Duke of Buclew or his minders or the Scottish Landowners Federation, whatever they call themselves now, you've got to have looked like you've gone to the other side and found what they're saying. And in a live programme, it's even more difficult because obviously there's no time to go to the people who aren't in the room. You have to offer some kind of, well, look, this is what they would say as a means of trying to fend off Mm -hmm. legal action. However, that last bit that, that, that came in that, you know, friends said it was a one off. Oh, yeah. I don't see that being a kind of legal statement type thing in front of you. And even if it was, and this happened to me many, many times, I would be given something by the production crew that was you've got to read this. And I would just phone the lawyer myself mm-hmm. because actually, first of all, the wording was so unlike me that everyone would hear that I just had a blooming, you know, pole put up my backside and told to say something which erodes your credibility as a presenter it has to be something that's articulated in your own speech with normal language not legalese and secondly if there was a point that it had reached where it looked like I was being forced to kind of almost endorse someone who is a wife beater and I was actually patron of a domestic violence charity I would not be able to let that pass 
Yeah. And you're allowed. I mean, I was a humble blooming presenter on Radio Scotland. If you're Fiona Bruce, you're allowed to get involved in the stuff that you're handed. You clearly do get involved in the stuff you're handed because in all sorts of other stuff, she cuts people short. She yes. interrupts. She comes back with highly biased points, you know, and she's married to a guy who, you know, I put this at the end of things because you're allowed to be married to whoever you want. And it doesn't erode yes. your individual identity. But I think she's married to a guy who the fundraisers for the Tories or something. Again, should have probably got that more specifically correct. So the whole thing is kind of really unsatisfactory. And that's sitting in the back of everything whilst Gary Lineker is in the foreground being picked on for saying something progressive, where Fiona Bruce looks like nothing has happened to her when she appeared to endorse a domestic violence perpetrator on air in, you know, on top of a whole load of other things that particularly independent supporters would conclude means that we don't watch the programme anymore. So I'm even um, not relating any of this from actually having seen that exchange because nothing makes me watch that programme anymore because of the way it's conducted. So there's all of this swirling around, in addition to which there's the story about David Attenborough's new series, Wild Mm -hmm. Isles, which apparently had a fifth or sixth um, edition that was particularly uh, funded by conservation charities that lays it on the line pretty strongly about Britain's crap record about um, species diversity, which is rubbish. And, you know, that one has now been taken off screening on the BBC and is only going to be available on the iPlayer. Well, why, you ask yourselves? I mean, it is a fact. No one is disputing it that the biodiversity in Britain is probably the lowest in Europe. So, you know, there's there's no that's not a bias. That's not you know, that's provable. So what happened to that one? Of course, the BBC say because it was funded differently, it was never intended to be on the TV. Mm. Yeah, right. And that's the problem. Once you've got a bit of a reputation amongst people for for. You know, for all that we're talking about now, you cannot come out with a single defence of any decision that doesn't sound fishy. Yeah. And can you be impartial in the age of the big lie, Leslie? I mean, that's my that, that that's my thing. I, I don't feel that. But I mean, you've talked about Britain's crap record and uh, the, the, the Lineker situation. Uh, it's almost, believe it or not, it's almost 75 years ago to the day that Josiah Wedgwood, who was a Labour MP of that, that great Wedgwood and Wedgwood Ben family, submitted an amendment to a refugee immigration and naturalisation bill calling for the admission of everybody of refugees from mainland Europe. Because at that point, temporary asylum was being granted to children. And here's the kicker, people who are willing to work as domestic servants. Yeah, that's, that, that ring a little bell for you. And what happened at that point was that the, it failed, of course. There was a rejection of motion. And uh, what what was said at that point, I mean, for example, with this guy, uh, Sir George De, uh, Douglas's comments, illuminate, you know, what was said then and illuminate what was said now. Our own people must be protected against those who might slip in. Drug traffickers, white slave traffickers, people with criminal records. And maybe what we should be looking at is the myth of Britain as a welcoming place to refugees. When you actually examine what happened 
and in the 1930s. The line was used in Britain in the 1930s and, and, and that taken place over years and generations of anti-so-called alien immigration policy. And that just as echoes exactly what was said by Suella Braverman in a recent debate during the debate yesterday, is that she had received information from unnamed chief constables about the influx of drug traffickers and the increase in drug drug trafficking with all these people that are coming across on boats. And we know that that's what happened at the time. And we know that the tabloid press these days is putting out and promulgating these things. I mean, we speak about the Daily Mail. Well, what actually discovered that even the Scotsman, the day after that debate, which actually closed the door on Jews who are attempting to escape, particularly from Austria because of the Anschluss, we let in 70,000 Jewish refugees. Jewish records show that we're half a million Half a million Jewish people who were seeking refuge from from Nazi Germany and Nazi Austria were denied entry and their cases were sitting on file at that point. So there's been a myth created that Tony Kushner, the professor of history, says people feel that the country should maintain asylum for the genuine. But those genuine asylum seekers are always in the past. I'm going to be here. People like Marco Longhi, well, that well-known Anglo-Saxon, talking about uh, the Tory MP, talking about uh, people coming from uh, corners of Africa or some other God-forsaken countries all the way to Cali, and talking about uh, safe havens, but only for the genuine. This is the British tradition. This is the reality. We have not been a safe haven for refugees. It's a complete myth. And that's what we're faced with again. It's not generally in the 1930s we should be looking at in terms of the language that's being used. That is the language that was, was used in the 1930s and the 1940s about Jewish refugees and is now being used about asylum seekers and refugees in current day Britain. And anybody who actually comes like Stephen Pollard, who actually writes in the Daily Mail, given its track record of anti-Semitism from 1900s onwards, right through that time period. And it's part in playing, um, not allowing Jewish refugees to gain access to safe countries. And I keep reflecting on the folk who didn't get out because of that. We cannot take these asylum seekers, these Jewish refugees in the 1930s from Nazi Germany. That's what should be remembered. And let's not look to Germany in the 1930s. Let's examine our own history. Aye, yeah. And and actually, some of that is kind of feeding into some of the questioning now that's attacking the asylum bill, um, where where Tom Tugendhat yesterday was was stuck repeatedly trying to answer the question whether there is any safe or legal route for refugees from countries like Iran to come to the UK. And this is the point, you know, when they're really pinpointed on how people can actually cross, you know, cross into Britain legally, which is what they keep thumping on about, there really is no way in at all. And as we've said before, an asylum seeker is defined by by the by what they're trying to escape, not the means that they employ to try and reach safety. And in doing that, we're just completely reshaping the very notion of what mm-hmm. asylum seeking is about. But anyway, I mean, you've got to hope that I, I see that there's you know, there's a few people who are rocking the boat, although I think was it the second reading or whatever went through with yeah. pretty much t- 
Theresa yeah, May they all voted for it. rocking the boat, but then they all voted for it. But, you know, there's there's some people um, who are sort of saying that they cannot support the inclusion. Robert Buckland, for example, saying that, you know, including women and children in this, you know, you just there's no way for you to get in here. That kind of is not OK. But I mean, yeah, they'll probably have that knocked out of them. And there we are again, ironically, relying on the House, the unelected House of Lords. So they'll be, as we've said before, playing that card ere long uh, to try and c- kind of knock some humanity back into this situation. But I mean, thank God for Gary Lineker. And yeah. and actually, it's uh, a terrible reflection. And I think Kumsa Yusuf put it very well in the debate last night where he said it's a sorry pass where Carol Vorderman, who's another person that's come from nowhere with all sorts of really good on it, you know, progressive stuff. I mean, have a look at her Twitter feed, folks, if you're if you're kind of she's, she's not kind of just quick on the old maths, but she's quick on the politics as well. But he said it's a pretty sore, sore, sore effect when you're basically relying on Carol Vorderman and Gary Lineker to be the opposition, mm-hmm. because there's the next thing. What's Labour doing about this? And, you know, the, the kind of sh- sh- shabbiness of the retort being simply that the stop the boat stuff, which is as close to fascist as you want to get within a sort of straightforward British, you know, party sort of set up in Britain. But the repost to that horrific sort of sloganizing of human life um, is simply that it's not going to be effective enough to stop the boats. Yeah. You know, so, you know, we, we've lost England. We've lost kind of, you know, progressive public opinion, because if anybody's worried about wheat for Indy, what about wheat for Labour? Yes. I mean, that's what we're going to see really kicking in next is that everybody will be. And if they don't want to sort of shut up about it, they will be deselected or that's probably already happened already, actually, as we know it has. So, you know, you just don't get to say tickety boo in case it looks like you're off the boat. And then for uh, Sarwar, you don't get to have any sort of views that sit you even in the middle of Scotland's more progressive public opinion in case that looks like you're some sort of bampotty old style Corbynista who wants to project produce uncosted proposals about Britain's future. So it is a, it's a you know, it shines a light so badly on where the stuckness of British politics, which I mean, there's much talk about Labour being able to have and the opinion poll suggesting a move uh, towards Labour at the moment and a reduction in support for the SNP. But you know, it's 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 simplistic, short-sighted, and not looking at the different settled will north of the border to think that that is going to be an easy thing to hoover up once we actually have a first minister who has to command the support of the whole party. Well, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a funny kind of thing because when we were, we, we've talked a lot about the the, the leadership campaign and uh, the debates that are taking place. But you were at a, a Yes event recently, Leslie, where it was, it was, I believe it was the showing of the Iceland film, where there were loads and loads of questions about the potential vision for, uh, for Scottish uh, an independent Scotland, but not one question about who was going to be leader. Well, yes, actually, I've just got to say, it was a fabulous event, actually, in People's, um, and the... Uh, the the organisers were tremendous. There was about, I can't remember, there was about 50 people there. I mean, it was sold out, so it was just however many people could get into the film, uh, to the room. 
But the, the great thing about it is that people sort of lose themselves happily <laughs> in in what's being suggested here, which is here's how a small country manages to conceptualize itself, use its resources and move forward. And here's what they think of us. And actually, the debate really stayed at that level with lots of kind of essentially high level questions about where we're going with independence, what the capacity of Scotland is, big discussions about the energy possibilities. And nobody sort of fell out of the dream enough <laughs> to to fall back into just, you know, the business of who do you think is going to win the, the kind of co- the leadership contest, which I've got to say was a was a relief um, because <laughs> I'm not going to be coming out supporting anybody. Um, but also it spoke to why we're all still at this, which absolutely is that even in the midst of um, the difficulties being created by the volatility of the leadership contest. Yes, groups are still getting themselves organized. I've been approached by another couple of yes groups who've just set themselves up. Now, you've got to say, well done to you. you know. Um, and it's just possible that all of this may you know, clarify in people's minds uh, something that is an inadvertent outcome of all the slagging, which is the word independence and the concept is being raised more often at the moment than it ever has since 2014. In fact, very possibly than it ever has. Now, it would be great again if candidates would realise that this is an opportunity not just to say that we need to get on to talking about the the benefits of independence, but to blooming do it. <laughs> you've got mm-hmm. an open microphone in front of you. You know, you've got you've got this constant, you know, independence as an idea has now been raised really high. And as everyone has observed, uh, you know, from Oscar Wilde onwards, you know, the only thing worse, worse than being talked about is not being talked about. So generally putting an idea in front of house, it's what happens after every party conference. Support for that party rises simply because you've heard a lot of their stuff. Unless, of course, they're the Tory leadership, in which case <laughs> <laughs> it all finally went deservedly peaked on. But, you know, it's the clagginess of the rest of the debate that's hanging over independence that doesn't need to. And and candidates could decide that this is a chance for them to profile independence very clearly for what it can do. Whatever your your debate host actually wants you to say, show us, you know, yeah. don't do a sort of kind of arm wrestling, jostling thing of sort of saying, well, I'm more, you know, in favor of independence than the next guy. Let's hear the talk about what independence is going to do. Be shut down, you know, take the hit, because this is what could potentially be happening is that people are watching who are independent supporters and seeing finally that, you know, even hosts that are flown up from London who don't probably give a toss are having to wrap their heads around the strategy to get independence. Lordy, lordy. You know, in any <laughs> other life, that would be a bit of a bonus ball. So I think that that is possible. And it was a fabulous night in Peebles to just have that you know, feedback from everybody and the belief back again that we're in this, you know, to just become like all the small countries around us, people who harness our own resources and understand fully that the chief one is our people. Well, 
And the just a, a wee bit of news, folks. We probably saw Leslie tweeting about it. We're on our travels next week, so we'll be doing our podcast next Tuesday. But we'll be doing, we'll be, we're going to Belfast, which is back to your old stamping ground, Leslie, and back to the a very short time, the stamping ground of my grandfather, who I think lasted about a week uh, when he was sent there as an essential worker to Harland and Wolf, and he. A man that would cause trouble in an empty house. He got, he got, he got sent back, sent back to Scotland and to, to work in Govern again damn quick. But we're doing a, a couple of events there. We're, we're, we're doing a version of the podcast at, at lunchtime. And, uh, you and I are going to be talking about Scottish independence, um, the potential for it, what's been going on and the potential impact on Northern Ireland. And it's a part of the Imagine Belfast Festival, which looks absolutely fantastic. I don't know why I'm there, to be perfectly honest. I'm just going to sneak in. I'm going to be an imposter as usual. Come on. I mean, I think it's great that they've obviously showcased quite a number of podcasts. They've got the Slugger O'Toole podcast being recorded as live as well there, which is a real hoot of a one uh, lovely opinionated Irish podcast, too. So, uh, I mean, I don't dear knows how we're going to do this. actually. Well, that's your problem, mate. But um, yeah, but we're going to do it. So if anybody is listening from over by and wants to come, just have a look. Uh, In fact, we'll put the link on the thing with Bob. But have mm-hmm. a look for Imagine Belfast, which is the name of the festival. The coming to the podcast, I think, is free. So just come. Uh, well, but I think you need a wee ticket. And um, yeah, the debate about Scottish independence. I hope we're not the only people in the room. Yeah, yeah, well, that would, that, that, yes, that would be that would, that would be more than more than embarrassing because you and I could essentially debate each other and we can sit in northern agreement. So on that. We'll see you next Tuesday for the podcast, as usual, chums. And if you're in Belfast, we'll see you next Thursday. 